All right, uh, Matthew chapter 5. If you would turn there in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. And beginning in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I'm sorry, drop back to verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake or for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Father, we pray, as we always do, that you would please give us insight as we look at your word today, Lord. As we consider one beatitude today, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We pray, Father, that we'd be able to glean from this beatitude. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we began our study on the Sermon on the Mount. So the Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes, of course, Um, And we began with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Guys, when you read the word of God, I was kind of doing this on Wednesday night. I mentioned a number of scriptures, and I said, do you ever get stumbled when you read this? Do you ever get stumbled when you read that? I think that there are a lot of things in the word of God that can be a stumbling block to the natural mind. You know, you just think, well, that doesn't even make sense. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, to the natural mind, it doesn't make sense. How could that make sense? The poor in spirit, they're blessed, they're happy. And our beatitude today, blessed are those who mourn. I don't know about you, but I try to avoid things that would cause me to mourn, you know. And and yet Jesus says, no, 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 You, you need to understand this. Blessed are you who mourn. For you will be comforted. So there's the, the blessing, I think, in, in the comfort that follows. When you look at the Beatitudes, I think a lot of the Beatitudes, at face value, they seem to be a contradiction in terms. I mean, they, Jesus makes statements that don't seem to make sense. But of course, in Christ, they do make sense. In fact, it was interesting As we began to worship the Lord at the second service, I felt immediately that the Lord was kind of drawing my attention to something that I, to be honest, I had not considered until, what, 20 minutes ago. And it was this, blessed are the poor in spirit. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The poor in spirit. No, Lord, I'm not. How can I be? How can I be the light of the world? How can I be the the salt of the earth? I'm not that. And we're not that in and of ourselves. Blessed are those who mourn. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother. Jesus says, but I say to you, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery. Jesus says, going into next week, blessed are the meek. (laughs) And then he gives a teaching on marriage and so on and so forth. I, I think that obviously there's an outline. Jesus did not ever just say something to say it. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, poverty of spirit, acknowledging Oh, I am, I, am, I am lost, literally lost without Christ. I have no hope. I, 
I, there's nothing I can do to be accepted outside of Christ. If it was dependent upon me, there's no hope. Mourning, blessed are those who mourn. I believe is the natural or supernatural response to poverty of spirit. Mourning is the right reaction to acknowledging I can do nothing to save myself or to please God. Mourning is the right reaction to acknowledging I am spiritually bankrupt without Christ. Mourning is the right reaction to acknowledging my best is unacceptable. Mourning is the right reaction to acknowledging that I, in and of myself, am deserving of hell. The right reaction to being poor in spirit is mourning over our poverty of spirit. The word that's used here for mourn, it speaks of the the Greek grammar. It indicates an intense degree of mourning. Uh, Jesus doesn't say that, you know, Blessed are those who have kind of a casual, you know, sorrow over the consequences of their sin. No, no, no. He says, those who have this deep, felt mourning over their condition, this deep grief because they've sinned against the Lord. In fact, Jesus shows us what mourning looks like. If you would turn with me to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18... And we'll begin in verse 9. I'll give you a moment to get there. And Jesus spoke this parable, listen, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Do you know anyone like that? I know people like that. And despised others. So, two problems. They think they're all that, and then they look down on others because they don't meet their particular standard. And so this is what Jesus said. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. Remember, the Pharisees were the the standard of righteousness at that time. They were the holy guys. They were the religious leaders at that time. So one was a Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector. And we know something about tax collectors from our study In Mark's gospel, the tax collectors, they were hated, they were despised by their fellow Jewish brethren because they worked for Rome and many times they would overtax, they would, you know, really rip off their own people and so they were a hated people. So you have the two, you have the Pharisee and you have the tax collector. Verse 11 says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. Can you hear his trumpet? You know, he's blowing his own trumpet. He's, He's really singing his own praise. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, that is the tax collector, went down to his house justified, the, the word justified, it means to render or to show or to regard as just. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. I think of David David, you know, was very descriptive in many of his psalms. There's some of his psalms that I'll read, and and sometimes I cringe a bit when I read the words of David, and David's talking about his integrity and his righteousness, and I think, oh, David, you don't know what's coming, you know. 
And then there's other psalms, like Psalm 6 and verse 6, where David wrote, I am weary with my groaning. The word groaning literally means with my mourning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. David wrote this psalm, Psalm 51, of course, after he was outed by Nathan the prophet. And he wrote this, Have mercy upon me, O God. He doesn't say according to my righteousness or my integrity or my goodness. Or He says according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I, listen, for I acknowledge my transgression. Blessed are those who mourn. And my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned. And done this evil in your sight. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. I think of Peter. I mentioned Peter last week when we considered the poor in spirit. Peter, he was cocky. He was self-confident. When Jesus said to the twelve, when Jesus spoke these words to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And we read that Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not. I won't stumble. And then a little further down in the gospel, again, I'm reading from Mark's gospel, a little further down, It says, but he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And I think he believed it. And I think on one hand, he proved it. In the garden, maybe hours later, a familiar place. Judas knew the location. The mob came with torches and weapons, clubs and all. And they come to arrest Jesus. And what does Peter do? Peter takes out his little sword and he begins to fight. He takes off the ear of Malchus, uh, one of the servants of the high priest. And then he's immediately rebuked by Jesus. Put your sword away. Remember that? But I wonder if he took that sword out, began to slash away, you know, to punch guys and stuff like that. I wonder if he thought to himself, you know, I told Jesus that I wouldn't deny him. I told Jesus that I was willing to die for him, and now I'm proving it. But of course, the gospel goes on, and we read, Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man whom you speak. I don't even know the man. You're accusing me of being one of his? Matthew's gospel tells us that he went out and wept bitterly. The word wept, wept bitterly, it's one word there in the Greek. It speaks of a a violent sobbing or a a, a mourning. I I, I think the time, I've, I've wept like that, but always privately. I remember being in a pastor's meeting one time with pastors all over the region, and I I won't give you the details, but the pastor, one of the pastors was just really going through it, and and, um, he was being accused of something that wasn't happening. He had a child in children's hospital at the same time you know and he said I can't stay for the meeting because I've got to get to the hospital and but I needed to stop by so that I could talk to you guys and and he stood there and we said well let's pray can we pray for you before you leave yes please pray and we laid our hands on him we began to pray for him and he just began to wail I just, I mean, even when I think about it now, it's like I wanted to start crying because I felt so bad for the guy. He's just, and it was something that came from like down here and just kind of like, whoa. And he just kept moaning and groaning. And, and, and that's what I picture when I read in Matthew's gospel that that's how Peter responded after he denied that he even knew the Lord. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the result of a broken heart over one sinful state. Blessed are those who mourn. I I believe this is the kind of mourning that's a godly sorrow over our rebellion against God. That this is the kind of mourning that is the result of the agonizing realization that it was my sins who put Christ on the cross. Now, of course, none of us could say that. All of us could say that, but none of us can say that singularly. You know, we're all guilty. Poverty of spirit. Today, and it's not necessarily new, but, you know, there are so many different methods in the church. And there are different methods of evangelism, aren't there? There are some methods of evangelism that's very man-centered rather than Christ-centered or God-centered. And I think that it sets people up for disappointment and confusion and ultimately a fall, really. Let me explain what I mean. There's the approach... Well, maybe it would sound something like this. God loves you so much, and heaven just wouldn't be complete without you. Is that God-centered or man-centered? I think that's man-centered. We sing a hill song, song, worship song here, beautiful song, all of the lyrics. We absolutely love them, except for the lyric that says just that, and we delete it. We, we're not going to sing something that's not biblically sound. Or what about this? What about when you, we hear things, you know, if you want, an en- if you want endless joy and, and satisfaction in your life, come and believe in Jesus. And there's no mention of poverty of spirit. There's no mention of mourning. And because it's a man-centered mindset, What happens is a person comes to Christ and says, well, where's that abundant life and where's that joy and and everything? And, you know, I'm such a special person. That's why Jesus (laughs) died on the cross for me. That um, where is it? And then they're stumbled by the very one they claim to place their faith in. They're stumbled by the words of Jesus. Because Jesus says, blessed are the poor. In spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And they say, what? I don't even understand what this means. This means absolutely no sense at all to me. And they're stumbled by that. You know who's going to be stumbled when Jesus comes back, the second coming? When Jesus comes back, or let me put it this way, you know who's going to mourn when Jesus comes back at his second coming? The Jews are going to mourn. Did you know that? I'm referring to Zechariah 12, verses 10 and 11. They will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. Why will they do that? Because they will recognize he came. He came to our people. John tells us, John's gospel tells us, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Jesus, according to Matthew's gospel account, because of course the four gospels were written to different audiences, and Matthew was writing to the Jew, that's why he quoted so much scripture, but he made it clear that Jesus came for the lost sheep of Israel, first and foremost. But he came to his own, and of course he didn't fit their mold Does he fit your mold? He didn't fit their mold because they didn't want a suffering Messiah. They wanted a ruling Messiah. They wanted a political figure, you know, some giant political Caesar type of guy. And he did not fit their mold. And they rejected him. But when they see him, they'll recognize. You say, well, what's all this have to do with blessed are those who mourn? You know, you're talking about uh, modern-day evangelism and everything. Well, remember, 
when John the Baptist, so John the Baptist, uh, he's the forerunner of Jesus, and he begins to preach. Now, I don't think this was the only thing he ever said. Obviously, he preached many things, because we know that he preached against Herodian, or, or Herod and Herodias because of their adulterous relationship, and that got him thrown in jail, and eventually the removal of his head. You guys know that, don't you? That he wasn't, he wasn't murdered or martyred because of the cause of Christ. It was because of what he said that offended Herodias. But when he came, what did he preach? Repent, quote, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, second part of that verse. He's arrested. He's out of the sea. He said, I must decrease, he must increase. Jesus begins to preach. According to Matthew, what does Jesus begin to preach? Jesus preached, quote, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He preaches the exact same message as John does. Repent. Repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of direction. Repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Peter denied that he knew the Lord. He was brokenhearted. He was devastated. He couldn't believe that he would do such a thing. He had godly sorrow. He mourned over (laughs) his actions. And he repented. And was forgiven. And was restored. Judas. Judas had remorse, the sorrow of the world. And he hung himself. Big difference. The point is, is this. The gospel means good news, which you guys know. God's good news, God's gospel, God's love, forgiveness, salvation, eternal life are surely good news. But guys, if a person doesn't understand the bad news, they will never appreciate the good news. What's the bad news, you say? Let me give you a few examples. Psalm 7, 11. Here's an example. God is a just judge and is angry with the wicked every day. And we have protest. No, 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 no. That's not the God I believe in. I don't know what God you believe in. This is his word. This is, this is one example of many examples. You say, well, that's Old Testament. That doesn't apply. Well, it does apply. <laughs> Here's some more evidence of bad news. The bad news is that without Christ, everyone is dead in their trespasses. This is according to Paul, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. And the bad news is that without Christ, everyone is condemned. This is based off of John three eighteen. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I think what's missing from a lot of modern-day evangelism is God's holiness and man's sinfulness. Isaiah 64, I mentioned this last week as well, part of the verse, but verse 6, but we are all like, uh, let's see, but we are all like unclean things, and our righteousnesses are, are like filthy rags. We fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. You say, that's Israel. Yes, that was Israel, but it still applies to us. It applies to every man and woman. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. I believe that 
just as I said last week, I don't believe that poverty of spirit is something that you just experience one time. You experience it on the day or the night that you, you surrender your life to Christ and you believe in Jesus and you determine that you're going to start living for Jesus and you never have poverty of spirit again. I don't believe that. I believe if you're truly walking with the Lord, if you're a child of God, if you're a person of the word, as you're reading the scriptures, there's going to be many times that your heart is going to be convicted as you're reading the word of God and there's going to be that poverty of spirit. And I believe that those who mourn, I don't believe it's a one-time thing. Oh, I did that. I did that back in, you know, 1977, you know. I don't do that any longer. Oh, maybe there lies the problem. (laughs) If our relationship with the Lord, listen, I said it last week. I'm repeating a lot of what I said last week because these two tie in so much. But if you're a child of God, if you've placed your faith in Christ, there are things that are true about you, that you are a new creature in Christ Jesus, that the old has gone, the new has come that you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, that you belong to him, that um, though your sins were as scarlet, they've become white as snow because of him. You're clothed with his righteousness. It's, it's, it's his blood, it's his atonement on the cross that's made us clean and accepted in him. By the Father. I mean, there's all of these things, you know, that are true. They're true statements. But the Bible also speaks of another truth. Like Romans chapter 7 and, and, and other places. That as long as we're living in these bodies, we, we have this, this condition. Why do I do the things I do? Why do I do the things I don't want to do? Oh, wretched man that I am. You know. And there's this struggle, this civil war within us. That there are things that we think, there are things that we do. You know, I, I, I read it at the beginning here when Jesus says, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Do you know that the, the words without a cause are deleted from the original? <laughs> you go, wait a minute. But you see, that was our little hook, you know. I always have a cause when I'm angry. <laughs> that's even deleted from the original. You say, well, that's impossible. Yeah, this is sin to be angry? Yep. Wow. You know, we have all of these things, you know, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I mean, you know, we all of these different things that we deal with, and we realize, oh, Lord, I need you daily. I need you. I need you, I need you, I need you. Help me, Lord. Give me strength. Blessed are those who mourn. I believe that God allows these things in our life, poverty of spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those, by the way, do you note that it does not say have mourned? It says who mourned. Again, I don't think it's just a past tense thing. I think it's an ongoing thing. Not that we go around, you know, miserable people, but, but again, I, I think that there are times. There are many times when I'm just reading the word of God where the Lord will just kind of gently speak, begin to speak to my heart or show me something or, or even as I'm maybe just driving, you know, and you're just thinking and maybe you're talking to the Lord, praying, and, um, and then something comes to mind. The Lord did that to me yesterday over an issue. I was praying about a situation. And I just kind of was voicing my complaint before the Lord. And the Lord, in the way that only he could do it, reminded me of something that happened just a few weeks ago with me and where my heart was. And he says, remember, Danny? I said, yeah, I remember. See, it's a constant reminder, not a put-down, but a constant reminder. (laughs) You have not arrived until you arrive. And it's going to be a struggle. We're going to struggle with sin. And as long as there's that that openness and that awareness, the, the, the Pharisee, of course, he had no awareness of his sinful condition. 
the tax collector was completely aware of his, of his sin, of, of where he was at. And he said, Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy. I believe that the Lord allows us in our lives because it's a path to a deeper, richer relationship with him. You know, the scripture says, cast your, what? Cares upon him. We're told in the Psalms and other places that we need to commit to roll over. That's what it means. Just roll over. Roll your whole weight over on. Commit your ways to the Lord. There's this dependence upon him. Cast your cares upon the Lord. Lord, I'm really concerned about the. I know you are. I got this thing. (laughs) Back and forth. Back and forth. See, too many of us live our lives, our relationship with the Lord is on a need. You know, (laughs) when I need you, I'll call you. And I sure hope you answer quickly. And the Lord doesn't want that. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The word comforted means to call near, to invite, to invoke. I I believe that it's the Lord himself that comforts us. It's not just being comforted by, you know, I read the scripture and, oh, that was nice and that comforted me. Or someone gave me a call today and I just feel so much better after that call. I believe it's the Lord who comforts those who mourn. So then you say, I get it. Blessed, happy are those who mourn. If you're going to comfort me, Lord, then I want to mourn for the right things at the right time. You say, where do you get that? Well, let me give you just one scripture because I have something to share which some of you won't like. (laughs) David wrote in Psalm 30, verse 11, you have, he emphasized, he's talking to the Lord, you have turned for me, my mourning into dancing. The verse goes on. You have, no one else, you have put off my, tack, my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. If you're his, he wants a more intimate relationship with you. If you're not his, acknowledge your true spiritual condition. Don't pretend. Nobody thinks that you really have it together. I mean, do you, do you ever, when you see people, like, do you ever think, you know, I, I think they do. I really think they have it all together. I've, you know, they don't. We need you, Lord. And we pray, Father, for your strength and your help. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've given us your spirit. We're not orphans on our own, just trying to make it through. You empower us by your spirit. We pray, Lord, that we would honor you. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come for your church very soon and take us out of here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to share something that has been heavy upon my heart. And when I said some of you won't like it, I I know that some of you won't like it because um, it's such a controversial thing, but I must speak on it. There are some things that are theory, and then there are other things that are a reality. You know, we can hear things, this might happen, this might take place, that might take place, you know, and we could hear about it, and we could discuss it, and we could talk about things and say, oh yeah, boy, if that happened, and then we could theorize and everything else. But we have folks in our fellowship that are dealing with the reality of losing their jobs and losing their careers. Every week I have people that contact me asking for prayer. There's a number of people over the past few months uh, really been accelerated 
as of late that are considering moving to another state. Um, I don't want to see folks go. I don't want to see my brothers and sisters, you know, that we've known for a long time go. I really don't. But here's the reality. We have, we have men and women that are going to find out this next week, some within a few days, whether or not their job, uh, their career, because these are adults, you know, they're not 16-year-olds working at a job that they'll forget about when they get the next job, <laughs> you know. These are men and women that uh, are, are uh, there's one particular person, he is at the end of a 20-year service for the Navy. He's at the very end, and he doesn't know where because he does not want to take the vaccination. This is a reality. Is he going to walk away from all these things? Is he going to lose benefits? All of these things. This is a reality. We have, we have firemen in the church. They will find out next week if they're religious. We call it religious because that's what they call it. But it's really biblical convictions or spiritual convictions. If they will be uh, taken seriously and considered or not. And then their jobs, their careers end. One of the brothers was telling us this morning at the prayer meeting, and my heart just went out to him because I can't imagine being in a situation like that. He says, if my job goes, everything goes. I mean, not my faith, not the important eternal things, but he says our insurance goes and our means of livelihood and, and all going. This is a reality. We have, we have people in the military, obviously. We have civilians that are serving. Um, and as I was saying to the first service, that you could fall on one of two sides. There are those that probably feel a bit disturbed about this why are you talking about this on a Sunday morning Dan and you keep mentioning this and you know if the people would just do just take the vaccine and move on well (laughs) the men and it's been primarily men that we've been working with that have convictions. Now, we've had others that show up and they say, well, I'm in the military. I hear you're giving uh, religious examples, which we are not. Can I make that clear? We're not giving, we have no, we are, we're simply vouching for people that we know. We, if, if you've come to church here and, and we sit down and we ask you, what are your convictions about this? Why don't you want to take this vaccine, you know, and you share and you, you give the biblical reasons, then, you know, we could discuss and maybe I could write a letter and Pastor Nate could write a letter and, and, and do what we could do, even though there's a concern that these things are just going to go by the wayside. But we're not just giving out, you know, because, why? Because we want to be people of integrity. I can't vouch for someone uh, that, you know, you show up because you, you want a religious exemption, but then, and then we give you one, and then next week we never see you again. We're not going to do that. That's weird. That'd be like giving out ordinations. You know, what are you going to do with this? I don't know, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I'll get, make good use out of it, you know. Here's the thing. Regardless of where you stand, you need to understand as a Christian that there are people that are really being touched by this. People are really going to lose their jobs over this. They're means of livelihood. I don't understand on two levels. I don't understand as a Christian because as Christians, I always see our Lord caring for the underdog. 
I, I, you know, when I hear these pastors and, and people saying, you know, do the right thing, and this is what Jesus would do, and it has something to do with taking a vaccination or something like that, I think, man, don't do that to our Lord, and don't read into the scriptures, because we, we don't have any indication that he would have done such a thing. So I'm troubled on that level, but I'm also troubled on the level of just an American, we have been a people that have taken a stand. I, I, the problem I had for the people who say, just shut up and take the vaccine, is don't you see there's a problem that anyone would be forced to do something that they don't want to do? That's what I don't understand. If you came in here and you were an atheist, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in that at all. I just don't want to take the vaccination. I'm afraid of the side effects. I'm just not sure of this thing. I just don't want to do it. I'd say, hey, I'm with you. And I'm surely with those who have biblical convictions of why they don't want to take it. But my concern, and this is what I want to address here, is that there would not be division in the church. See, that's where, if it's, you know, the vax and the unvax, and now we've got division in the church, because it already exists. When you have Navy chaplains, what are wrong, not Navy, military chaplains. Listen, we have a lot of Navy people. We have some Marines. We're thankful for you guys. If you feel called to the ministry, do not become a chaplain. <laughs> Honestly, it's like, golly, it's like, yes, I'd like to serve the Lord in the military. Handcuff me and put a gag over my mouth. Because that's what it will be like in the military to be a chaplain. But when they're citing against people who have convictions across the board and saying, no. When we have pastors who are making a trip. Listen, don't you think it would be so wrong if I stood as one man before you and I decided that vaccinations were the right thing to do and I got up here and I preached, do the right thing. If you love and you need to be like Jesus and this is what Jesus would do, I would hope most of you would probably walk out because you'd say, who does he think he is? It's pushing this on us. It's wrong. I... I know this is extreme, and I, I, will, I will get hit for this. I, not physically hit. I hope I don't get hit. <laughs> it's been a while since that's happened. <laughs> but when you make these extreme statements, you know, it's coming to a point in time. This is not the mark of the beast. It's coming to a point in time, depending upon where you're at, that men and women will not be able to buy or sell without the vaccination or the proof of the vaccination. Do you see a problem with that? Do you see a link <laughs> with, with what we read in the Bible? It's not, this is not the mark of the beast, but I'm just simply saying, do you see that? Do you, can you at least distance yourself from the situation enough to say, there is a problem with this? This is going to be extreme. I know people hate it when you say these things. Nazi Germany. It wasn't a crazy thing when it was happening. It's crazy from our perspective because we can look back at, at from our vantage point and look at history and say, what were those people thinking? How could they do that to other human beings? This is horrible. This is horrific. But when it was happening, it made sense. We need to distinguish them and them and them from us. Well, what can we do? Well, let's give them some sort of mark of distinguished, you know, a card. It wasn't a card, it was a star. Of course, there were many that were excluded, weren't there? Let's all, let's push them in one part of the city so that they could all be together and we could be away. Does that make sense? 
I don't, I don't see a problem with that. I don't see a problem with it. Give it a little time. Okay, wait a minute. Now they're all in one location. And you know what? We need to send these people to some place that would be better equipped for them. Like a, a camp. They'll have room and board and food and everything they need. We'll, we'll get them there. I, I know it's going to look a, a bit barbaric, you know, getting them there, but get on the train. You see, that's extreme. It is extreme from this vantage point. When it was happening, as it was taking place, it made perfect sense. My point is, is that, you know, I don't believe for a moment that the German people were evil any more than any other group of people to the core, and they just had this hatred and this oozing. It was a few that had an effect upon the larger group. And I fear that that's happening now, not only in in our country, but around the world. I am really concerned about this. Let me bring it down just a, a, a little bit. Paul wrote, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So here is a test. And it's a test. It's between you and the Lord. And it's really a, a, a test between you and your own heart. Because no one can see it. Only God can see it. But here's the test. If you're a part of this church... We have families that perhaps will, will, will not have an income coming in if, if the husband or the wife loses their means of, of, of supporting their family. What are we going to do? That's the question. Did you feel the test? See, if your heart said, what do you mean, what are we going to do? I'm not going to do anything. I mean, they need to do the right thing. If he's a man, take the thing so he can support his family. No, 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 no. That's not how the church functions. The church is, we're all members of of one body. What's the church going to do? If people are directly affected in a very real way, what's going to happen? See, this is what we need to consider. I said to Nate... On Wednesday night, Mario, come on up, Bethany. On Wednesday night, you know, we had um, some folks come, and they, military, Navy guy, guys, and they wanted some exemptions, you know. And, and it's so hard, you know, to kind of sit down with someone and to talk to them. And, and again, we want to take each case as it comes, but we had to explain and and there was a little bit of pushback with, with one, and he was persistent. No, I need this thing. And it's like, well, we don't even know you. We've never seen you before. We, I don't know anything, you know. And, and just that kind of pushback. And I, after the evening was over, I looked at Nate, and I said, Nate, are we doing the right thing? And he said, of course we are. And I said, I know we are. And I said, I, I feel like as a man, as a Christian, I want to stand with the underdog. And especially when the underdog's a, a believer. And, 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 and right now, it's the person who does not, who takes a stand, who says, I don't want to do that, that feels like the world is against him or her. They're the underdog. So I just hope as Christians, I hope that we look at this thing realistically. I hope we look at this thing understanding that we have families in our church that are possibly walking away from a retirement and all the benefits and all of that, and they will do it because they trust God, but they don't want to do it. One of the brothers told me, he goes, in my flesh, I'm mad. I've served 20 years. I've been on seven deployments. If you were to add the time up, Consecutively, I've been away from my wife and my children for this many years. 
I have five months. As he's telling me, I'm, honestly, my heart is just aching inside me. I just think, I can't believe this is happening. Lord, why is this happening? Lord, please, you know this is happening. Please help, help your children, Lord. But I'll tell you, we are living in a time like no other time. And I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail. There is an agenda. You've, you've got to see that there is an agenda. I believe that the agenda is what we're going to see eventually. What we're go- well, we- hopefully we'll see it from heaven's perspective. But the agenda will be fulfilled ultimately under the Antichrist and that whole thing where no one will be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast and everything else. But guys, this is, this is, this is moving in that direction. To not be able to see that really is to be completely unaware of what's going on. So anyway, if I angered you, you could send your letters to P.O. Box. No, <laughs> say it with me. <laughs> Stand with me, please. You know, I used, to, I used to save all my hate mail. I really did. And I had this, like, big package, you know. And, and someone said to me one time, they said, why do you keep that? It might have been my wife. <laughs> Probably my wife. Why do you keep that? And I said, I don't know. I just, I, I, I just keep it. And they said, you got to get rid of that stuff, you know. And it was really freeing to get rid of all those nasty letters and everything, kind of let it go. So I don't read letters anymore. Lord, we thank you for your love and your care and your concern. And we thank you for your word, Lord. And we do pray, Lord Jesus, please help us to be men and women who are on the right side of history. That we're standing with our brothers and sisters, even if we don't agree concerning an issue that at least we'd be able to recognize they have the right, they have the freedom. They should have the right, they should have the freedom. This shouldn't cost them their job. This shouldn't cost them their career. I pray, Lord, for my brothers and sisters who are considering moving. Pray, Lord, that you would direct them and lead them and that they wouldn't do anything without the assurance that this is what you want them to do. I think that what we see here on the West Coast, it's just going to continue to spread across the country and the world. But Lord, we just pray that we do not fail this test that's before us, that we would love, that we'd have compassion and genuine, heartfelt concern for our brothers and 